O God, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our hearing, be with us now to sanctify unto us the truths that shall be derived from them. Be with us especially to enlighten our minds by thy Holy Spirit, and by the mighty working of thy power bring into the way of truth all such as have erred and are deceived. Be pleased also, O Lord, to strengthen such as do stand in comfort and help the weak-hearted, and raise them up that fall, and finally to beat down Satan under all our feet. All this we humbly ask in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I wrote that prayer. Just kidding. Charles Simeon wrote that prayer. Isn't it lovely, though? But do you ever feel like you're knocking on the wrong door? That you thought that you had everything figured out, things were going along swimmingly, and then all of a sudden you're left in complete confusion. Uh, things took a detour, a turn that you didn't expect. And now you're left to wonder, what do I do now? How do I respond to my predicament in life? Our passage this morning from Luke 24 highlights that very question because you have these two disciples uh, who had followed the Lord Jesus and now all of a sudden in great confusion uh, they have decided to go back to what is their home village, uh, Emmaus. Uh, we only know one of their names, Cleopas. We don't actually know where Emmaus is today, uh, but a very uh, important and dramatic and clarifying conversation happened on that seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to where Emmaus is. These disciples had seen Jesus come into Jerusalem in great triumph on Palm Sunday, and then in less than a week later, he was killed. And so we find them on the road arguing and confused, trying to reason where it all went wrong. This Sunday uh, that, that they're, they're on the road on is that first Easter day. We've gone back in time two weeks in the lectionary. And so this is actually Easter day. And they've gotten up. They've not heard. Uh, they've heard the rumors that Jesus has risen. Uh, but they decide, you know what, we're going to go ahead and go back uh, to Emmaus. And so there they are talking about the very events of that week and the rumors from the women. And they wondered, how could it have all gone so wrong? And they wondered this aloud. And as they're walking, they're so immersed in conversation that they don't notice that there's somebody walking behind them who eventually comes up and says, what are you talking about? What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? They were so startled because they were so immersed in the conversation that we see in verse 17, and they stood still looking sad. They were stopped dead in their tracks by this traveler whom they could not recognize and by his question because they assumed, and rightfully so, this weirdo was eavesdropping. And so one of them, Cleopas, said to him, are you the only person in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? And even more gobsmacked, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And they talk about how he was a great prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest had condemned and handed him over to be crucified. And then in verse 21, they said, you know, we had even hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
And yes, besides all this, it's been three days since he's died. But now some of the women in our company came running back from the tomb and said that an angel had told them that he was alive. And then Simon Peter and John ran to the tomb and they too found it empty. And so we decided, even so, we were going to head to Emmaus. And Jesus' response to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He says, you're being foolish and slow of heart to believe these things, these very things that I have said to you. Not only have they been steeped in the scriptures, and they should have known better, but they'd actually been around Jesus. They knew Jesus. They knew who he was, what he was, what he did, and what he taught. But instead of revealing himself in that moment, Jesus instead, in response to their foolishness and inability to recognize who he is, because they not only were not able to recognize him because they didn't understand what had happened, they weren't able to rightly interpret the scriptures, but also because God prevented them from seeing Jesus, who he was. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, instead of revealing himself in that moment, Jesus interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus opens the word of God, the very means by which not only are the hearts of these Emmaus disciples opened, their eyes opened, but also the hearts the eyes of our hearts as well. And that's the point of this sermon. That the Bible points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The entire biblical narrative is about Jesus. If you want to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old. And if you want to understand the Old Testament, you have to understand the New the New And if you want to understand, understand the Old, you have to look back through the lens of the New Testament. Everything hinges on Jesus. Now, of course, at this point, the Holy Spirit had not caused the New Testament to be written. So the scriptures that Jesus unpacks for the Emmaus disciples are from the Old Testament. And they're from a particular part of the Old Testament, starting with Moses and then the prophets. Uh, there's plenty else in the Old Testament that Jesus could have unpacked. He could have talked about Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden in Genesis and having that promise in, the, in, the, in that chapter of Genesis where they're told that you will give birth to one who's, who the serpent will... The serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Or the story of Abraham and Isaac going up onto the mountain where Isaac himself carries the wood for the sacrifice and Abraham carrying the dagger to kill his only son. And Isaac himself asking his father, well, where is the lamb to be sacrificed? And Abraham's answer, God himself will provide. But he talks about Moses in the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone said, we're going to have a Bible study on Leviticus, not that interested. <laughs> right? Normally, that's the part in the Bible where if you try to read it all the way through, you get to Leviticus and you think, okay, moving on. 
if at all. But that's actually what Jesus is unpacking here for the disciples. And it's reminiscent of, John, of the conversation that we see in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Nicodemus is terribly confused by Jesus' language of being born again. And even though Jesus tries to explain it, Nicodemus becomes more and more confused. And finally, Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? It's the same rebuke that he gives here to the Emmaus disciples. They ministered with him. They heard him teach. They saw his mighty acts. They heard him proclaim that the Son of Man must suffer many things. They heard him say to tear down the temple, and in three days he will rebuild it. And yet these disciples are just as in the dark as Nicodemus. And like Nicodemus, Jesus begins a Bible study, an autobiographical account of himself, the Messiah, he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As J.C. Ryle said about the Old Testament, let it be a settled principle in our minds when reading the Bible that Christ is the central son of all its books. So long as we keep him in view, we will never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. Once we lose sight of Christ, we will find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. The key to understanding the Bible is Jesus Christ. Now the real irony here is that many in our world are consent to say, well, the Old Testament really doesn't matter. Only what Jesus says is what matters, just the red letters in the Bible. I recently ran across some stuff on Facebook that said, you know, the Bible isn't the only revelation of the divine or following the words of Jesus is what is important. Now, of course, following the words of Jesus are very important, but as Christians, we do believe that the Bible is the authoritative statement of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so people that say such things have got it all wrong. They've lost the plot. It's not an oversimplification of the scriptures, but for those of us who do ask, is it in the Bible? Ask because Jesus is at the very center of the scriptures. And here we see Jesus using the Old Testament to reason with the Emmaus disciples to show that he is the Christ. While our Facebook friends would discard the Old Testament, at least the bits they don't like, Jesus' teaching from the Old Testament does what? It doesn't alienate them. It causes their hearts to burn. Now, this is a very important point to make in the world in which we live in because if the Bible has lost its place of authority, it's not because God has changed his mind, but that we have reduced it to a fable or helpful hints for living or a history book that can help us along the way and maybe provide us some spiritual insight. But Jesus teaches from the Bible and knows the Bible is important. Why? Because it points to him. And in order to see him, in order to hear him, we read and listen to this. Not the book itself, but the words of God. I don't know if you've ever had this feeling uh, or encountered this situation 
where you go to a class reunion, and I've started to really look forward to those because I get on Facebook and I think, I look really good uh, looking at all of my former classmates. Uh, and then I realize that's not true. I look just like them. Uh, but there you are at a class reunion, and you're talking to someone, and you have no idea who they are. No clue who they are. And then all of a sudden, you look at their name tag, and you realize, of course, of course that's who you are. And all of a sudden, you realize you and this person were really close. But apart from their name tag, you had lost any point of contact with them. You had no context. You couldn't really put it all together. And so in that sense, the Word of God, the Bible, is Jesus' name tag. It declares uh, who he is and what he's done. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to think that Jesus Christ uh, was Jesus' full name, like Andrew Pearson, and Christ was just his surname. Uh, but that's not true because Christ is his role, sort of like Bob the Builder, Jesus the Christ. He, he has a job to do. Uh, this is important because the Bible does, doesn't point to the person of Jesus Christ, of him in the flesh, but what he came to do. And that's why the Old Testament is so important. Bishop Ryle again says, Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses, whose glorious coming filled the pages of the prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. The disciples were knocking on the wrong door because who they thought Jesus was was not who Jesus really is because the Jesus they were believing in was not the Jesus of the scriptures. And they would even appeal to the scriptures to prove that. They emphasized the fact that he died. And not just that he died, but the manner of his death, that he was crucified. He was executed. And they knew their Bible. They knew that in Deuteronomy it said, cursed is the one who dies upon a tree. And so if Jesus was executed on a cross and that caused him to be cursed by God, how could he possibly be the one who came to save us? Furthermore, they were looking for a Messiah that would liberate them from the pagan Romans. They had no concept in their darkened minds and in their unseeing hearts of one who would come and not just rescue them, but would be the ransom for the entire world, for the people that he would draw to himself. They didn't understand Jesus' cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, they would have said, God has cursed him. And they would be right, but they've got it all wrong. Indeed, Jesus was cursed because every sin upon him was laid. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus unpacks all of this for these disciples. And so amazed are they, and because the hour is getting late, 
he's invited to dinner, and he's given a place of honor. The place that Cleopas would have had is given to Jesus, for this is a meal like in any other Jewish home, taking place at about the same time that Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and gives it to them in verse 31, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. What was it that they saw in the breaking of the bread? Was it the way that he handled the bread, the words that he used that reminded them of that last supper in the upper room? Was it when he multiplied the loaves in the fishes and distributed it to the crowds? Or was it the first time on this conversation road that they took notice of his hands? And as he broke the bread, there they saw the nail prints, the wounds that he would show the other disciples in the upper room a week later. And in the moment of the breaking of the bread, they apprehended him and they beheld him and they saw him as he was, their Savior, their Lord, their Messiah. And they remarked, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus' appearance to the Emmaus disciples is proof positive that Jesus can personally minister to anyone after his death and resurrection, including you and me. Jesus didn't leave us mountaintop experiences in order to experience or encounter him. He left these Emmaus disciples and you and I something very simple. If you want your heart to burn, if you want to hear the voice of Jesus, if you want to encounter him, you find him in his word. You find him in his word. And when, his, when their eyes are opened to who he is, understanding who Jesus is, what do they do? They immediately get up and they run back to Jerusalem. Remember, they just told Jesus, why don't you stay here because it's not safe to travel at night. But the moment they understand who Jesus Christ is, their life is of no consequence. And they're willing to risk their own life and limb in order to run back to Jerusalem and to tell the other disciples that he is risen. And we saw him. Our hearts burned. And while he was breaking the bread, we apprehended him. And we beheld him in his glory. And now that we know who Jesus really is, our lives are changed. We're different men. And so indeed for us, brothers and sisters, if you want to encounter the risen Lord Jesus, look no farther than his word and behold him as Lord and Savior in all his glory. Amen.